Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. Well, I'll tell you, it matters to Boris. If you are just joining us, good morning to you. 02890-333-105-077-66-105-105. It definitely matters to him. He did it, he says. Well, we did it. We did it. We pulled it off, didn't we? We pulled it off. We, we broke the deadlock. We ended the gridlock. We smashed the roadblock. And in this glorious, <laughs> glorious pre-breakfast moment, before a new dawn rises on a new day, and a new government. I want, first of all, to pay tribute to good colleagues who lost their seats through no fault of their own in the, in the elections just gone by. And I, of course, want to congratulate absolutely everybody involved in securing the biggest Conservative majority since the 1980s. So he's happy, no doubt about it, uh, back in Downing Street with uh, such a, a mandate. And it also mattered to John Finucan, uh, the new MP for... North Belfast. I'm very, very proud to be from North Belfast and I think that this election is about the future of North Belfast. We saw the threat of Brexit and what that meant for the people of Belfast. We saw the threat to our economy, the threat to our children's futures and I think that message, that Remain voice that was heard in 2016 was amplified beyond recognition again tonight. I said to those on the doors for the past six weeks that this election had the potential to be a voice that would be heard loud and clear, not just in North Belfast, but in Belfast, in Ireland, and in Europe, and indeed right across the world. And I think that message has been heard very loudly here tonight. Uh, John Finucane speaking. He was actually congratulated by the man he beat, who, of course, is Nigel Dodds. I congratulate him on his victory. Um, I do regret the fact that North Belfast, however will be left unrepresented in the House of Commons at a very challenging time. I think one of the messages of this election is that people want to have their voice heard in Westminster at a critical time. Nigel Dodds, the outgoing MP, the defeated participant, uh, pipped by and well beaten by John Finucane. Uh, Alison Morris is with the Irish News. Alison, good morning. Good morning. It was expected to be very, very close. In the in the end, uh, we're talking a couple of thousand as opposed to a couple of hundred. So, um, John John Finucane, one of the the headline stories. But does it really matter now, considering that there's such a victory for the man we heard about or heard from at the beginning of that, Boris Johnson? 
I think there's a, there is an issue there that Boris Johnson now does have his majority. He can't go ahead with his Brexit deal, his withdrawal agreement, which he has already had passed by um, Europe and by the Irish government. But what has happened, I suppose, is that now in Westminster there's not just one voice being heard. Originally, the only people who were there with the DUP they were Brexiteers, and that was, I suppose that was the, the only real Northern Ireland voice being heard, apart from Lydia Sylvia Hermans. Now we've seen that there are going to be three remain MPs who take their seat, and then there's also obviously the the, the Sinn Féin MPs who have been returned and that will put, I suppose they could align themselves with other like-minded thinking MPs to put pressure in regard to the trade agreement that's coming so Brexit's going to happen, it can't be stopped anymore, that's it. That part's done, that ship sailed. But I suppose what they could do is try to get the best Brexit possible in terms of softening the, the trade deal and softening the blow um, in terms of what's going to happen exactly in Northern Ireland. And can that impact on the border down the Irish Sea? Well, the border down the Irish Sea is part of that withdrawal agreement. But what Boris Johnson has said is that there won't be be checks or tariffs or on goods coming from GB to Northern Ireland. That's not what his withdrawal agreement says. And anyone who's read it has said it says something completely different. So what they do have to do now is, I suppose, use what influence and what power that they have to make sure that Boris Johnson... Yes, and tomorrow you stick him, stick into his word, um, sticks to that, and and make sure there aren't any any major checks or any costs to businesses, um, in terms of this withdrawal agreement. I mean, the, the trade agreement is the big part of this. The withdrawal agreement was always going to be the, the the smaller part of the the Brexit Brexit deal. But I think that most people thought that Boris Johnson would come back with a majority. Very few of us have seen it and come back with a, the huge, huge majority that he now has. And considering the border down the Irish Sea and the strength of the Scottish Nationalist Party, who got 55 seats, now they're still not going to be able to break a lot of Delft in London, but they'll have to be listened to. Do, do you get a sense that the, the, the union this morning is weaker than it was? I think in terms of, of Scotland, they do have the figures there for for another NDREF and, and I, whether that, that happens um, in the very near future or not, I don't know. But the SNP, obviously, that their preferred preferred outcome would be to have another independence referendum um, sooner rather than later. What we'd also, I know, and, and nationalists have been saying this for some time, is that a strength and calls for for a border poll. I don't think that we're, we're quite at that stage yet, but what has happened and Brexit has done is it's it started that conversation and you know, for the first time ever there have been more, since the formation of the state, since it was, you know, designed since the border was drawn almost 100 years ago, there have been more nationalist MPs elected to Westminster Union, and that's a seismic change and it's a major change to the very fabric of the place that we live in, so you know, you can't be head in the sand time uh, forever Eventually, people will have to talk about those things, and I think that that includes unionism as well. You can talk about something to talk people out of it ever happening, but you still have to accept the fact that this is where we are now, that our demographics have changed and the way people vote have changed and the way people think have changed, um, and it's something that that, that needs discussed. Um, But, I mean, I I, I do think there's probably, if you look at what happened last night, it's probably going to be... a Scottish independence referendum a long time before there's a, a border poll in, in Ireland. Now, the Scottish nationalists want, as you say, a Scottish referendum, a second one, as quickly as possible. Do they, do they want it 
as quickly as possible because they are totally convinced they're going to win it and they'll get what they're looking for? Or are they slightly afraid that the Prime Minister actually could deliver some sort of land of milk and honey for the UK generally and the Scots might catch on that, hey, it's much better to be in the Union? I think Scotland voted to, um, to remain as well. You know, Wales and, and England voted to, to leave. The preferred option was always to, to remain within the EU. Um, the, the issue is with with what Boris Johnson has has said that he has agreed to in this in relation to the withdrawal agreement. You know, it wouldn't be a land of milk and honey. It would be something quite different than that. We don't know what the the trade agreement's going to look like. No one knows that yet, and it's probably a considerable time off into the distance. So we have to start talking about the nitty gritty of that. Um, I mean, I know that. Donald Trump had made statements this morning claiming, you know, this is now opened the, the door for trade deals to be done. But, um, you know, people who are a lot smarter and a lot more tuned into these things than I am have already said that the, the, the withdrawal agreement as it is is much worse than the one Theresa May negotiated and there will have to be some changes made to it in Northern Ireland will be in a, a pretty dire circumstance economically. Going to be speaking to Sam McBride from the newsletter in just a moment. So one question which I'll be putting to him about unionism, I'll put the similar question to you, Alison, about nationalism and the re- Republican readership that you may be writing for in the, in the Irish news. Where do you see the SDLP versus Sinn Féin at this moment in time? That was really interesting. This was one of the sort of stories of the election. So, I mean, if you were to look back at this in terms of local terms and Northern Ireland terms, you'd say you know, the biggest story of the election is Nigel Dodds losing his seat to John Connick. And you know, there's a massive change um, in that part of the city and just the fact that you've got such a big player, you know, the, the deputy leader of, of the DUP. But the, the growth in, in the SDLP vote, not just in FOIL, where we were talking that it could be, you know, this closest thing, maybe, you know, 100 or 300 votes, it turned out to be thousands of votes in it between Sinn Féin and, and the SDLP. And then in South Belfast, where Claire Hannah's vote, you know, they were they were weighing it rather than counting it, you know, it was huge. Um, and you have to ask then, who, who, what does that vote represent? Who are those, those nationalists who want that? And I think that that has came down to... That's come down to a lack of storming and that's come down to the things that you have been discussing on your show for the past couple of weeks and that other people have been writing about. That's that's health waiting list and that's all of those things. So for a while, I think that people were quite happy to accept that civil servants were keeping the lights on, they were keeping things ticking over and they were keeping things going. But when it had came to the head where it was clear that that was no longer viable and that ordinary people were starting to see the absence of Stormont and what it was doing, I think at this point in time, had that had the results not been what we have now, I'm not sure what would have become of the talks that were told are going to start on Monday. I think because of that growth in the Alliance vote and that growth in the SDLP vote, because by the Alliance only took one seat, they did grow their vote percentage. I think that will maybe focus minds within Sinn Féin and the DUP who'll see that maybe that their voters, their own electorate, are going to start punishing them in future elections again if they don't start showing that they're they're willing to work and they're willing to compromise and they're willing to get things back up and running again. Would, would Claire Hannah have won if Martina Mullier had stood? Would she still have won it? Yeah, she'd have won it even without a, a pact. The, 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 thing, the thing is, if you look at, at what her vote was, there was 9,000 votes. That were, that were floating around in South Belfast that were, if you had Sinn Féin's vote and the, the Green Party's vote, and both of them obviously had to decide. I mean, she, she, her, her majority was double that. You know, we should have won even without a pact. Interesting, and it, it is. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's been locally an election that's been different from so many that we've had in the past. But at this moment in time, it looks like as if our MPs aren't going to be able to cut much ice. But as you say, there, there's a lot of water to go under many bridges uh, over, the next, over the next five years. But uh, we, can, we can be more or less certain that it is five years. It's, the, the Tories, the, we can't see them putting a foot wrong where they're going to end up having to go to the, to the country again in the next five years. No, I think Boris Johnson can believe his luck. I mean, his his idea ideal was just to get a big enough majority that he didn't have to rely on the ERG and he didn't have to rely on the GDP to get his Brexit deal through. He's got that nail some now. So as far as he's concerned, I think he'll he'll try and just play that along, keep that going for another five years. So this seems to be what we have and what we're going to have to work with. Um, and you mean we know what Boris Johnson won this election under such a on such a massive majority by saying the same thing over and over and over and over again, and that was get Brexit done. So whether we here in this part of the world wanted it or not, that is not what the people across the water decided they wanted. Um, and even people, you know, in, in strong Labour states who would never have dreamt in the past of voting for Conservative have as a result of that. So I think that we need to accept that Brexit's going to happen. And what the, those MPs and those people that were elected, including the DUP, all need to work together to try and minimise the impact of that economically. And I think that that's the best we can hope for going forward. OK. Uh, Alison, thank you very much. Sam McBride's patiently uh, waiting at our invitation. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Frank. Where is unionism this morning, Sam? It's in a very bad place. I think that's indisputable when you look at the figures, and not just in terms of the seats which the DUP have either lost or failed in North Down to gain, where they expected to gain that seat, um, but in, in, in terms of the vote share, in terms of the pattern, particularly of votes not going between the unionist parties, so it's not that the DUP is losing votes and they're going to the Austrian Unionists or the Northern Ireland Conservatives or the um, TUV who didn't even stand in this election. Um, they are going to Alliance, they are staying at home. Um, there is no sense there of healthy competition within unionism. And the reverse is true within nationalism. I think this has in many ways been quite a poor election for Sinn Féin, um, with the exception of winning North Belfast, which is a massive coup for, um, for Sinn Féin.
Payne and for John Finnegan. Um, it, it, it's really a very difficult um, picture for them across much of Northern Ireland. And what happened in Foyle was remarkable, um, not just a victory for the DUP, but really a hammering for Sinn Féin um, from what was once um, a knife-edge constituency just two uh, short years ago. So um, there, there is a sense within nationalism that people are moving between those two parties, um, whereas within unionism, that is simply not happening. And so therefore, there is this um, battle within unionism, which has always been there. It is erupting this morning. We can hear, and um, we have people like Sir Geoffrey Donaldson from the DUP really urging unionist unity and um, the um, creation of a de facto single unionist party and um, whether or not it would actually be called that packed across all sorts of seats even places like North Down that are really solidly unionist seats and then you have got others within unionism both within the DUP and the Austrian Unionist Party who think that, that that is not the answer, that the answer is to basically do what is happening um, with the SDLP and have a more vibrant Austrian Unionist Party so it is, it is a very um, grave situation, I think, for unionism. And the big question, of course, is where does that leave the, the leader of unionism, um, Arlene Foster, in particular? And where do you see the future of the two main unionist leaders? First of all, Arlene, Arlene Foster. Where, where, do, do, you, do you see her being challenged? Uh, do, you, do you see the, the Sir Jeffries of this world fully backing her? Well, I, th- I think it was very significant what Sir Geoffrey Donaldson said this morning when he was asked about her position. He did not um, in any way say anything that was a fulsome endorsement of her. He did not say that she was secure. He did not say that he would not be challenging her. Um, he really tried to say as little as possible. Now, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson is uh, really an exceptionally experienced and capable um, um, political communicator. He did not say that, I do not believe, by accident. Um, He is seen as the most likely successor to Arlene Foster. Um, There would have been debate as to whether it would be Nigel Dodds or Geoffrey Donaldson um, up until last night. I think now that Nigel Dodds has lost his Westminster seat, um, there was a real sense, even visually looking at him at the count last night, that he was really a very defeated figure. Um, And also, I think, in a more significant way, he is somebody who has been a joint leader, effectively, of the DUP, Arlene Foster, has been incredibly um, reliant on him over the last two, three years in particular since the RHI scandal. Um, And so therefore, if the DUP leadership strategy is seen here to be wanting, that is not simply something that can be laid at the door of Arlene Foster. That is is both um, Arlene Foster and Nigel Dodd and, of course, in the background, the key um, figure who was once a special advisor at Stormont, now the DUP chief executive, Timothy Johnson. And so I think the bigger question for the DUP is not so much whether they shuffle um, at the top of the party, change the, um, the, uh, the uh, visual arrangement there, but whether there is a fundamental shift in their policy. Are they going to change as a party? Are they going to react to this in a radical way? Or are they essentially going to say, let's carry on as things where try a bit of unionist unity here, see if we can um, circle the wagons to a certain extent in even constituencies like North Down. I mean, even saying that is, is a measure of how grave things are, I think, for unionism. This is a solidly unionist seat and the idea that unionists are talking at a senior level about urging each other towards standing aside in a pact in a seat like that to try to save the seat for unionism, I think that really shows how far things have fallen in, in this election and over recent elections. And Steve Aiken, is he flogging a dead horse or does he need to be given more time as the new kid on the block? 
I, I find it very difficult to see that Steve Aiken will be pushed out simply because he has barely arrived. Um, you know, it, it, would, it would look as bad for the party, I think. Um, the party grandees all lined up behind him. He was anointed without even a contest. Um, if they then um, are shown to have their own judgment so lacking in pushing him out immediately, I think, I think that is almost as damaging for the party as it is for him. It's been a disastrous night for, for Steve Aiken. It's been a disastrous campaign for Steve Aiken. Um, he, right from the outset, when he talked about standing in 18 constituencies and you turning on that, um, flip-flopping, as, as many people saw it on Brexit, on their stance on that. Um, it, it, it is not something which has filled voters with any sort of confidence as to what the Australian's party stands for. But I think that as with Arlene Foster for many years now, um, maybe it will be the case that Steve Aiken will largely be saved for now by the lack of an obvious successor. There is only one obvious successor, and that is Doug Beattie in Upper Van. There's nobody else who really is remotely credible as an Austrianist leader. Um, Doug Beattie did not want to stand against him um, just about two months ago. Um, has he had a fundamental change of um, mind in that, in that short space of time? Um, I think that it would be, be unlikely that, that we see radical changes there at this point. Uh, and finally, Sam, where are loyalists in all of this? Where are the people who are on the, on the right wing of the Stop the Betrayal deal campaign that journalists weren't allowed into? The, the ones that are not mainstream but out there on the, on the periphery, where, where, where are they this morning? I think that's a very good question and um, what, what we saw in this campaign in, in some ways, while it might not have appeared this way to nationalists or to people who um, are not instinctively sympathetic to loyalists, um, I, I think that what loyalism was largely trying to do in this campaign was trying to channel itself into politics rather than into street protests. We saw in various places, such as some of the um, pretty nasty stuff about John Finnegan in North Belfast, about Claire Hanna in South Belfast, we saw how that stepped over the line, but there was a very different approach there from loyalism um, than, for instance, we saw during the flag protests where roads were blocked and it was very much a street movement. I think the big question now within loyalism is where do they go when politics, as they may well see it, has failed? Um, they have um, done what they were told to do by unionist leaders. They have channeled their energies in that direction. They've got people registered to vote. They have got people out to vote. And turnout in some of these loyalist areas has been very, very healthy. Um, but, it, but it just hasn't been enough. Um, and I think that is the big unknown here. Where, where do they go? Some of those people, we know from what has been reported from my colleague um, Ben Laurie, who was allowed into one of those loyalist meetings, um, there was a very militant atmosphere there. There were people who were arguing basically for violence or something um, that, that, that is very close to violence, and a, a very militant response to um, what they see as Boris Johnson's betrayal of them. Um, other voices, even in those meetings, arguing against that and unionist politicians arguing against that. But you can see how that will be a very significant debate there. But I think if they do go down that street protest route, if it becomes violent, as very often those things do in Northern Ireland, that will not be to their benefit. That will be disastrous. It was, it was disastrous in the flag protest. It was disastrous during the um, Anglo-Irish agreement. And pretty much at every point where unionism has um, turned in that direction, it, 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 it has really ended up in a much worse place. So that will be where some of them will be um, itching to get to or um, contemplating. But I think that if there are wise voices in there, they'll be looking at it um, in a more st um, strategic sense. If there's any strategy involved and thinking, actually, they need to rethink what they're doing as well. OK, Sam, thank you very much indeed. Sam McBride, the political editor with the newsletter.